look at in Luke chapter 14, uh, where Jesus gives us four pieces of information, four provocative challenges that all fall under the category of what it costs to be his disciples. So Luke chapter 14, verse 25, we'll start. Now, I'll read all 10 verses that we're going to look at today, and then we'll rewind the clock and go through them a piece at a time. Because uh, anytime Jesus gives us instruction about following him, I, I want to pay attention, and I think probably that's why you're here too. So, great crowds accompanied Jesus. So he turned and he said to them, if anybody comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, he can't be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost to find out if you have enough to complete it? Otherwise, when you've laid the foundation and you're not able to finish, all those who see it will laugh, saying, there's the fella that started to build and couldn't complete the project. Or what king, going out to fight another king in a war, will not first sit down and deliberate about whether or not he's able, with only 10,000 men, to defeat the man against him with 20,000 men? And if not, while the other's a long way off, the king with the smaller army will send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, you can't be my disciple. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness ever be restored? It's of no use. So it's got to be thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, at first blush, these are four strangely disconnected challenges that Jesus gives us. I mean, there's, there's one about hating your family, one about building a tower, one about getting your butt kicked in war, and then one about salt. Um, but I think when we, we take a look at this, you, you, we realize that, that there's some context here that, that pulls these things together because each of these are, are features of Jesus' ministry. For example, Jesus was often criticized for his own treatment of his own family. And he wants to start out by saying, look it, there's no scenario where everybody out there looks at you and thinks that you're absolutely perfect with absolutely nothing to commend yourself. Because remember, Jesus is a, a traveling rabbi. He, he's going to state things sharply and provocatively. He's going to use things like hyperbole or, or, or metaphor to grab your attention. So clearly, he doesn't mean that you actually got to hate your father and mother, right? I mean, that would be hugely inconsistent with his own witness, Jesus who looked after his mother, Jesus who cared for his brothers and sisters, Jesus who was by all stretch of the imagination a faithful, good Jewish son, Jesus who upheld the Ten Commandments, certainly isn't going to turn around and tell you to break one of the Ten Commandments, right? So he must mean something other than literally hating your family. Well, what does he mean? Well, again, people often criticized him for the way he appeared to treat his family, but I think what Jesus is driving at what you and I have to recognize is that even your relationship with your family has to come second to your relationship with God. Now, that, that's hard. I mean, generally, we think of family as the ultimate good. But here's the thing. When I submit myself first to Christ, I become a better dad and a better husband. 
I become a better son. Because submitting my life to Christ means opening myself up to the will of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who tells me, you should actually be a little more patient. You should be more gracious. You should be more forgiving. You should be more kind. Now, if I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit, if instead I'm just listening to, you know, my parents, my brothers, whatever, then I've got all kinds of mixed messages, and I never know if the messages I'm getting are good. Because it's not like they're completely perfect and totally sanctified in the best possible versions of themselves already. So if I take my crappy self and I add it to their crappy self, between the two of us, all we get is more crap. But if I submit myself to Christ and the Holy Spirit is convicting me of my behavior and prompting me to behave better in a more self-sacrificial, loving manner, well, now I've got confidence that that's one voice I can trust. And instead of being maybe manipulated or guilted, now, now I can act from the very center of who I am and the person God is calling me to become. That, that's how I become a better dad or husband or son or, or brother. And sometimes from the outside, that's going to look a little weird. Like I'm fond of recalling the things my mom used to make me do for the church when I was a child that to the outside looked like child slavery or exploitative practices for free labor at the church because my mom would make me come on Saturdays and pull weeds and she'd make me vacuum the church. And I remember I used to have to vacuum the lobby after the church would have weddings. And there was one day that I ran over the toes of the bride because she wasn't getting out there fast enough and I wanted to watch Spider-Man cartoons. And, you know, but the truth is what my mom was doing is leading her family. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Look, there's some stuff that you're going to have to do to lead your family. And it might mean putting your family's preferences secondarily because you're the one who's got to show your family what it's like to elevate Jesus in your heart, in your schedule, and in your lifestyle. Now, clearly that doesn't mean you're going to be mean and hateful and unkind, but there might be one or two children who felt as though their parents were being unreasonable when mom or dad asked them to do something they didn't want to do. There might be one or two brothers, one or two sisters, one or two parents who felt as though somebody putting ministry or work was unreasonable. And you know, you, you just got to figure out what it means for you to follow Jesus. And if you want to be his disciple, and, and notice the phrase, if you want to be my disciple. So if you don't want that, then don't. Then don't listen. Or if instead of being a disciple, you want to be a fan, well, then don't listen. But if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, that means you've got to elevate Jesus above all competing concerns. And it's going to cost you something to do that. You're going to have to pay. But if you're willing to pay, then you can lead your family. You can show them what it's like to give your life wholly to Jesus Christ. Well, that's where he starts out. Hating your mother and father, leading your family. And then he goes on to talk about this, this weird tower, this building. But, of course, there was a very, very famous building project going on in first century Palestine. It was the reconstruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And there was a sort of a corrupt politician, Herod the Great, who was involved in this, and later on his sons. And this building project had dragged on and on and on and on and on for far too long, costing far too much money. So Jesus is poking just a little bit, making a little political commentary 
look, if you want to get out there and start a building project, maybe make sure you get enough money to complete it. Now, I like to read myself into the biblical story from time to time. keeps me honest. So many of you know I started a charity last year or earlier this year uh, as a retreat center to, to train pastors called the Chapter House. So when I read this, I go, which of you should begin a chapter house without counting the cost? Lest you get the first phase done and then run out of money and all your friends laugh at you. you know? I, I think I'll be okay, but it stings a little to read those words. But the truth is, man, if you, if you have a passion or a vision, a sense of calling for what the Lord has, has set before you to accomplish, man, you better be ready to complete it. You better be ready to go all the way till the end of your project to finish it, to count the cost. Because we got too many people in too many churches who have a dream or who have an idea, and that's all it ever is. It's a little fantasy on a post-it note. It's a little entry in a journal, and they never do anything. And that could be something massive, like, you know, starting an organization to help victims of human trafficking. Or it could be something small, like, boy, I really just want to start a Bible study in my house. But if all you have is the idea and you never act on it, you never do anything with it, or you flame out as soon as you get started, what good is it? you got to count the cost. Because if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, not only do you have to lead your family, man, you've got to complete the tasks the Lord has set before you. Not just think about them. Don't be hearers of the word, but doers. Man, you've got to do something if you want to be his disciple. And then he goes on to tell this story about the war. You know, which of you, if you've got a smaller army, is going to go to war against a bigger army? I mean, you might want to count the cost before you get involved. And here Jesus is once again being playful, but also provocative. Because, of course, the people to whom he's speaking are in occupied territory. The nation of Israel has been consumed by the Roman Empire. And there were always, from time to time to time, little skirmishes, little rebellious upstarts, groups of men who wanted to throw out the Roman Empire. But you, you couldn't do that then. Israel was a really small country with no organized fighting force. All they had was some militia and little bands of, of freedom fighters. The Roman Empire was massive, covering a third of the known world at the time. How could that tiny little group of people ever hope to win independence through violence against Rome? Like, that just wasn't going to happen. So Jesus says, hey, man, count the cost. You start this war, you're going to get your butt kicked. That's his literal meaning to his audience, but I also think there's a figurative meaning to his audience then too. That There are some fights you're going to fight no matter what, so if you're going to fight, you better make sure you can win. That might mean you have to change the style in which you're fighting. That might mean that you have to make allegiances so other people can fight with you. But I think his point goes then as now. Man, you're in a fight. You're in a fight for dignity and respect. You're in a, a fight for significance. You're in a fight for your family. You're, you're in a fight for a better future for those that love you and rely upon you. You better make sure you can win. Now, elsewhere, we're told that we never have to fight alone. Elsewhere, we're told that when we go to war for these things that matter, that God goes before us and God goes with us and God's spirit is in us. But make no mistake, man, that there's a fight. Or did you think it was all so easy? The challenges, the frustrations, the setbacks you have, you just breathe, breathe effortlessly through those without ever breaking a sweat. 
Oh, man, faith is a fight. Faith is a fight. So you got to lead your family. You got to complete your projects. You got to win your battles. And you got to preserve your flavor. That, I think, is at the root of Jesus' teachings here about salt. And Jesus loves salt. He talks about salt all the time. There's a dozen different ways he talks about salt, and salt was a, a, an important mineral, an important commodity in the ancient world. But here, Jesus is focused purely on the tastiness of salt. If salt loses its taste, what good is it? You might as well throw it out. And that, that's you. If you lose your flavor, your unique flavor, what good are you? And make no mistake, there are people who want you to lose your flavor. There are people who think you're a bit much. You just need to dial it back. You're too salty. There are people who are tired of you, who want you to be just a little more beige. You know, you better not talk so much sass. You better not have such a strong opinion. You better not get involved in those things that you care about. You just need to dial it back, buddy, because we don't want to deal with you. Well, if you listen to them, what good are you? We're not even going to know if you're gone. You are a, a non-additive, a useless and absent contributor. You're a zero. So don't listen to those people who try and diminish you, demean you, roll you back, tell you that the way you are is wrong, the way you think is goofy, that the, the way you behave is untenable. Everyone who tries to diminish you is working opposite from the Spirit of God who's trying to complexify and develop you. God wants you to be more filled with flavor, not less but it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. Because every time you refuse to back down, every time you refuse to get smaller, every time you refuse to be subservient and stay in your lane and keep quiet, it's going to cause conflict. It's always going to cost you something to follow Jesus. It's going to cost you to lead your family it's going to cost you to finish your projects. It's going to cost you to fight and win your battles. It's going to cost you to preserve your flavor. But if you want to be a disciple, you're going to have to pay the price. And you might not want to. It might sound like it's too much. What Jesus promises risk and passion and adventure. But what Jesus requires is everything. And it reminds me of the, the famed Antarctic explorer, Ernest Shackleton. Have you ever heard of Ernest Shackleton? Incredible story. He led three expeditions to the South Pole, only one of which was moderately successful. And people would say, that if you wanted to reach the South Pole, never go with Ernest Shackleton. But if you wanted to come back alive, you should only go with Ernest Shackleton because every expedition he made was fraught with peril and torment. And in 1913, before his first expedition to the South Pole, he took out an ad, one of the most famous advertisements in the history of the world. Let me read it so that I get it right. Men wanted for a hazardous journey to the South Pole. Small wages, bitter cold, 
long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. The ad ran for one day, and he had 5,000 applicants from all over England. I think that's the kind of invitation Jesus gives to you and me. Hey, this is going to cost you everything. You're going to have to put God above everything else. It will deplete you. It will stretch you. The life of faith will spread you thin. But it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's just that you have to count the cost. Now, do you know what the Greek word cost means? I think this is so funny. If you translate it literally, it translates as devouring. See, there's never going to be a moment where God says, I'm full of you. God always wants more. God is always hungry for your heart, for your imagination, for your desires, for your spirit, for your future. God is hungry that every part of you would come under every part of him. And right out at the gate, Jesus says, hey, make no mistake. If God's not first, he's last. There's nothing in between. So count the cost, brother. Count the cost, sister. Because this is going to take everything you got. But the reward is to be filled with everything God is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the clarity and the provocation of Jesus' words and teaching. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for those of us who get tired and get weary. It's incumbent upon us to draw deeply upon you and your spirit to get strong, to get ready, to wade in to all that you have prepared for us and for your glory. And we want to say yes. Man, we don't do a good job with that. We think we say yes, and then it gets hard and we get confused, but... Lord, we tell you, we're your people. We want to be faithful disciples. We want to be good disciples. We want to say yes to your spirit and yes to your word. And we need your help to do that, not only to follow through on it, but to just to begin. So we ask, Lord, that your spirit would convict us, bringing clarity and wisdom and strength and power so we can serve you, so we can love you, so we can faithfully bear witness to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, this morning we're going to invite you up to receive communion. And I think there's an elegant kind of symmetry between the idea that God is devouring us. That's what it means to count the cost. God is eating us up from the inside out. And so in communion, we do the exact opposite. We, we consume God. And as you do, I just want you to have this in your mind, this, this sort of metaphor in your mind that as we take God in, God is taking us in wholly and totally. So as you receive these emblems of the body of Christ and the life of Christ, man, think of all the ways that God is consuming you, 
absorbing you and leading you into a better, holier life. You come as we sing.